0: Um, yeah we're we're three minutes early but you know that's okay we'll go ahead and we'll we'll go ahead and uh and fire it up here um thank you what what uh what this is going to look like it, it may it may look a little bit different every every time we get together and do this um but the uh the main thing is i wanted to i wanted to provide another Um, you know some other opportunities for pretty much questions about anything uh, because i know sunday we had a room full and that was a lot of fun and it went really well Um, but uh, you know not everybody was able to be here for that and uh, so uh, i don't think you can provide too many opportunities for people to be able to say i had i had my chance to ask my question or or, or say my thing, or, or whatever, and I, I want to give that opportunity as much as possible. Also, um, <clears throat> with where Northside is coming out of the United Methodist Church, um, now being um, non-denominational, and then with the new pastor coming out of the Baptist Church being non-denominational, myself, um, you know, now uh, the natural question is, what what is that going to look like together? Um and I've I've already been asked that question. So um so who is Northside gonna be? What what are we gonna what are we gonna become together? What uh, trajectory and direction are we gonna take? What um um uh, what are your what are your stances and beliefs on um some things that uh are kinda are, are very much important to Northside and uh, some of the some of the traditions and some of the beliefs um that uh, that the search committee and 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 elders had expressed that they would like to see remain, um, and how do you, how do you feel about some of those things? And then uh, some of the issues that uh, kind of precipitated the disaffiliation. Where where are you on those things? So um, we just want to give opportunities for those things to be made clear as we as we move forward together. I think that's healthy, um, because. Uh, with, with you coming out of one identity and until, the, um, a- until we're all able to kind of give the elevator speech of what our new identity is, you know what I mean? You know, you get in an elevator and somebody says, hey, so Northside, what is that now? What are y'all now? And you can, you know, give it to them in an elevator. Um, until then, we really don't know, do we? You know, because we got we got to nail it down, and we'll do that together. Uh, and then also, um, anything from from uh, Sunday's message, I'm happy to follow up on that or unpack something a little further. Um, and in 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 some of these questions that I'll go over, and it's it's very it's going to be very interactive. You're you're in many ways you are going to determine uh, where we go. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll go over some things tonight and then you'll kinda pick what we wanna talk about tonight then you'll pick what, uh, what, what we wanna talk about next week and then I'll be able to kinda publicize that and you can spread the word, hey, he's gonna talk about this next week or he's gonna answer this question next week and uh, get, get everybody excited uh, about coming back. So uh, let's start with um, this past Sunday. Um, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. I was nervous because um, I had preached in the, in the last year or so, uh, but it had been uh, you know helping out at other churches or preaching at a friend's church or, or whatever. And it, was, it wasn't big platform, three services recorded. You know, it wasn't what it was this past Sunday. I hadn't done that for over a year. And, uh, you know, I kind of had some, some thoughts there Sunday morning. Do I still know how to do this? And uh, so, <laughs> but it seems, to, it seems to have worked out. Uh, I think butterflies are a good thing, and the, the, day that, the day that there are no butterflies, something's wrong. But um, Sunday I was really nervous, way, way more nervous than, than, than normal. So um, yeah, thank you, all f- thank you all for being nice, you know? <laughs> but it was, it was fun, I loved it, and just had a great time with you all Sunday. But, uh, but yeah, we started that series in Joshua. And um, you, you got sermon notes, uh, whether you had them on your phone or whether you took them home and used them to line your birdcage. Whatever, whatever you used them for, uh, I put some questions for reflection. So just to kind of start out, what, um, uh, what questions, follow-up, clarification, or thoughts from, uh, from Sunday's message? Uh, anything I can unpack or clarify or add to there? Or anything you would like to add to? So I nailed it first time out, huh? I <laughs> like, uh, actually, Mark Luther King's the uh, first bullet in your questions for reflection about we are not makers of history, we are made by history. I think that's very true. And then how, how do you learn from history so that you keep good, you move on from the things that maybe weren't so? Yeah, it's almost like a push-pull because we tend to have that, um, uh, we do need to look back but not gaze there, not stare, not camp. Um, but there needs to be uh, you know, things that we learn from. C.S. Lewis had a term that he used um, called chronological snobbery. And he said there, there can be a sense in which we think that something that's from the past automatically is just nowhere near as good as whatever the new idea is. Well, that's chronological snobbery is what what he calls it we 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 do have a lot to learn from the past even even though and we and we, we let the past inform us even though we don't live there and stay there so I appreciate that <clears throat> good any anything else from from Sunday's message or anything like that your comment in uh, the difference between believing in God and believing God yeah Mm-hmm. Where are you? And mm-hmm. it, I think, and I kept preaching in my family, is if we stay focused, we're all going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, just believe all this, we've been taught, we've learned, we've listened to, we've said we believe for all this time, this is going to work out. We don't know the path, mm-hmm. but we trust the path, mm-hmm. and it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was interesting because um, you know when I was, when I was a chaplain, uh, we had several h- hospice patients um, or, or people that <clears throat> were admitted to hospice care uh, because it became obvious that they, they were not going to survive COVID 19, and so they would be brought to our unit uh, for their end of life and it was it, it was um, it was amazing to see how people, people of faith, people who followed Christ, even in the face of their, of their loved one or the person themselves, not being okay as far as they're not going to recover from this, but they were still okay. It was well with their soul. And there was a, it was just so, so many times when, um, you know, as they as they slipped away, um, and we all had to be dressed. We looked like mad scientists, you know, because we had the the major PPE on for that. And there was nothing like doing the um, uh, a prayer or reciting scripture with all that stuff. But uh, the Holy Spirit worked through all that stuff. And but uh, yeah, um, it, it kind of. It kind of puts a whole new light on um, the, the promise that when we trust him, he will make our path straight. Um, yeah, there's a big difference between believing in God and believing God. And I unpack that a little more this Sunday as we talk about fear, fear and courage. Yeah. Yes, sir. You know, I'll be and it's just so like my Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm excited about that transition. Yeah. Yeah, knowing about God is a good thing. Um and but that's that's not enough. Yeah. Proximity doesn't equal intimacy. And I was I was in close proximity to a lot of Christians growing up, but I've never known God to have grandchildren. You know. <laughs> only 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 sons and daughters. So well thank you. Thank you. Well good. Anything else from Sunday? Mhm. Yeah. And it can, it can be really hard because um one of the ways that we deal with our past or or reflect on our past or consider our past is we have to name what hurt us if we were hurt in our past. We need to name that. We need to be we don't need to leave it behind before before we've really addressed it, faced it, named it. Um, otherwise, we're trying to move on from, if it's, if it's a negative, we're trying to move on from an ungrieved loss. And grief is not faithless. Um, uh in, in, in the chaplaincy world, uh, we really emphasized um, the importance of grieving and taking the time to grieve, and that everybody's grief journey is different. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of talk about you know, some of the early work on grief is the, you know, the stages of grief. Well, and, the, and that's, that's some good work, but not everybody goes in that order, and not everybody's grief stages are equally spaced. Um, the anger phase may last a year, and the denial phase may be really short, Uh, Or, you know, it can be all over the place. And so you've talked, if you've talked to one person who's gone through a grieving process, you've talked to one person who's gone through a grieving process. Um, And when we try to move on, quote unquote, move on from ungrieved losses, then then we're trying to leave behind something that is still alive. And we've tried to bury it and things that are buried alive, when they come back, they're not very happy. You know, there's an entire genre of zombie stuff now, you know, and what you don't want, literally what you don't want are, are, is a zombie past coming back and chasing you down. And so addressing the past is naming it. I was hurt in this way. I feel I was robbed in this way when and I felt that way when, when my dad died. Um, my dad, I lost my dad in 2017, and uh, he, was, he was only 70. And um, he, uh, he, he had cancer, <clears throat> but when he started chemotherapy after the first round of chemotherapy treatment, the, the tumor shrunk down, and I mean, it was like, okay, he's, he has punched cancer in the face, and he's gonna be all right. Because dad, dad had always been Superman. You know, and um, so the second round, nothing changed about the tumor. It stayed small. Okay, one more. Third round, same. All right, we're going to try something different. Same, and then when when he when it came back, it came back just, and it took him in less than a month. And uh, I was so mad at God because it's like what 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 are you doing god what is this a head fake you know you, we were, we were all happy we we were praying for him and it was going this way and now it's gone this way what's what's up with that and i had to deal with i had to deal with feeling like i was robbed and uh i didn't get anywhere closer i didn't i didn't get anywhere <clears throat> in my relationship with god it didn't move forward at all until i was willing to to name, and 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 face the fact that I was I was very angry with God. I was very put out, as my British friends would say, with with God, and felt like I had been robbed by God. And uh, and then, when when he actually when um, when he actually was really he was rapidly declining, and my stepmom called and said, "You need to, you need to you need to get out here," because uh, I was in New Mexico and he was in Florida, so. Um, bought the ticket, was heading out the next morning. And, uh, you know, I was just like, Lord, just, I just want to see him one more time before he goes. And I was on the tarmac about to take off when I got the call from my stepsister. He's gone. And I was like, really, really? You've already, you've already robbed me. Now this is just cruel. I, you couldn't keep him around for a few more hours. I got a nonstop flight. Are you serious? And uh, but until I dealt with that and named that and worked through that, um, uh, I, I hadn't learned what I, I didn't learn what I needed to learn about the way that God is present even when, even when we're feeling like we've been done wrong. You know? And there is a way that God is present even when we're mad at him. That's just profound. And uh, I'll preach about that sometime. Um y'all might need to get to know me a little a little more before that, because that one's kind of heavy and deep, you know, but um there there's like this whole ministry of the Holy Spirit when the child is angry and 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 very much put out. That's just profound. But um, uh, you have to really lean into those give yourself the time to grieve those losses and those feelings or whatever they are grieve through them, walk through that time of grief and bury them well um, before moving on. So does that make sense? Or am I just getting all um, cathartic here? Um, yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, um, on the flip side of that, if something was really, really good, properly celebrated, so that was an incredible experience and God, I thank you for it. Um, <clears throat> but I'm not assuming you, but, but, I, but I can't pretend that you can't do that again because I know you can. So, so yeah, dealing with your past is very, very, very important. Um, yeah, there's more to say on that, but I'll save it for another time. Good stuff. Any, anything else about Sunday? All right. Well, I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to, uh, (laughs) uh, you remember those choose your own adventure books where you could, you could read a little bit and then, you know, do you want to go through the creaky door, go up the stairs or go down into the cellar, you know, and and that determined what was next. Um, We get to choose our own adventure here a little bit. I'm going to read, um, what? Oh, hey, what's up, man? Um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna read what um, uh, some of the questions that were put to me by the search team, and um, when I when I get to one that you like, oh, stop there. I wanna I, I wanna hear what you said on that. Um, we can do that. Okay. So I'll read a few, and then you 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 tell me what you'd like to explore. Um, uh, why did you leave the Southern Baptist Church? Uh, what are your thoughts on same-sex relationships and gender? What are your thoughts on abortion? And I'll read one more for, the, for this batch. Um, how, will you, how will you approach election, predestination, in a majority Wesleyan congregation? Coming out of, coming out of the Baptist church, are you a Calvinist? Um, any, any, any of those, float, float your boat? One, start with one, I've never heard of such a thing. <laughs> okay, there are, and, and I alluded to this a little bit Sunday, but um, the primary reasons I stepped away from, from the Southern Baptist Church, and, I, and I, was, I, was, I was raised in a Baptist church and I ministered in Baptist churches, um, but it, it really became an issue of conscience for me. And these were the, kind of the four biggies, okay? Okay. Um, the failure of the Southern Baptist Convention to hold accountable uh, churches, church leaders, seminaries, seminary leaders, and denominational leaders who had either committed or had worked to cover up instances of sexual abuse, who intimidated female victims in an effort to silence them in order to protect either the school or the particular church or the particular ministry. And that uh, was and continues to be rampant in the SBC. So that was, that was number one. Number two, um, the SBC's failure to address um, limitations on engagement of women in church ministry leadership and to address uh, a culture of toxic masculinity perpetuated by many of its leaders. Um... uh, the way that Beth Moore was treated as um, someone who, who went in and preached a mother's day sermon in a, in in a, in a church and the, the way that, the way that she was treated, um, the, the Southern Baptist convention used to be, um, used to be a denomination, before I was born, but uh, used to be a denomination that, um, that held, that, that provided latitude for churches to call and ordain, uh, to ordain women and to call them as, um, as ministers. Uh, and then that <clears throat> over the years just continued to be, um, happened less and less. And then it was formalized in their 2000, um, statement of belief. Uh, it was formalized and actually written into it that the office of pastor, uh, was limited to men and, um, and then talked about, um, that in the home, uh, women, women were to submit to their husbands. Well, the thing is, that's only half right. Are women, are women supposed to submit to their husbands? Well, yes, but it also says that husbands are supposed to submit to their wives because uh, any, any time I've heard a sermon on, and that's coming out of Ephesians 5, um, and any time I've heard a sermon on that or a teaching on that, um, it's, it's interesting that uh, verse 21 of chapter five was never included. And verse 21 of chapter five says, be submissive to one another in the fear of Christ. And that's actually the umbrella and the, and the, um, the, the, the overarching thought of every other instruction below verse 21 in how husbands and wives are uh, supposed to cooperate with one another. And actually subject themselves to one another, submit to one another. Now the word itself for "be subject to, depending on your translation, be subject to or submit to," has two uses. One is a military use. The military use sees the person um, who is submitting as a subordinate. And of course, that's the one that many um, uh, that many lean into as the the way to identify and and, um, and 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 define this but the other usage of the word and and the way that it's the way that it's used far more often both in the new testament and just in in greco-roman culture in in the in the greco-roman world when when koine greek was used was not in a military sense but in a sense of cooperation and so when paul is using it He's he's not even using it in that in that uh, uh, approach of a military where there's a where there's a um, commandant and a subordinate. It's in a in a sense of cooperation, mutual cooperation, okay. and so that seems and, and so whenever the Southern Baptist Convention formalized this uh, this really incorrect. Um, way of using the term for submission, and then, it, from my perspective, incorrectly limited the office of pastor to men. Um, that was something I, 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 I couldn't agree with, and didn't agree with, and still don't agree with. Um, <clears throat> and uh, one of these weeks d- during this, um, I've I've got I've got a whole Bible study prepared on why women can be pastors and why they should be so, um, cause um, plus in the history of the church, you got a lot of women pastors, you know? Um, and, and so I'll, but I can, I can come back to that. But that was the second reason. Not, not only did they limit, limit what women could do in the church um, incorrectly, but then in, in addition to that or, or parallel to that was this, toxic masculinity that kind of masquerades as something called biblical manhood. And that kind of is a construct created by John Piper, John MacArthur and others in the 80s, 70s and 80s that really is not, um, you really didn't see or hear a lot about that kind of stuff before they kind of created Created that. There's an excellent book out called The Making of Biblical Womanhood. Um, so I, I would highly recommend that book. Uh, the author there, she just tracks the history of it and how it it really began as a departure from the practice of the of, of the, the practice of the church throughout its history and how women were included and, and, and encouraged to follow the calling that God had put on their life. Uh, number three. It's failure to maintain separation of church and state by inviting politicians to speak and pray at Southern Baptist Convention events and limiting those invitations only to, only to Republican candidates, thus indirectly endorsing and affiliating with a particular party, which violated the historic Baptist principle of political diversity and actually um, should have caused them to have their tax exempt status revoked. So um, I don't get political from the pulpit. Uh, you will never, ever, ever, ever um, hear me tell you who to vote for. So don't even try to get me to do it. Um, um, the the church has, has enjoyed political diversity for a long time uh, until in, until fairly recent years, when I feel like many in the church have tried to find in political identity what we should be looking for in our faith identity, um, and so whenever whenever the SBC and I'm an independent, so um, but uh, but whenever the SBC um, started kind of baptizing one particular political perspective um, <clears throat> that was kind of a, like, whoa, wait a minute, there is no, there is no perfect political party. And uh, one of the things I say to people, and about the only thing that I'll say from the pulpit about politics in general is if you, if, if you agree with every single tenet of any political platform, you're not thinking. And if you are unable or refuse to be critical of the party to which you belong, you have way too much allegiance uh, to that party. Uh, It's made up of people and nobody's perfect. So um, there are, and I'm I'm not saying that we shouldn't belong to parties. um, But like anything, um, can you look back at the party that you affiliate with and say, you know what? I don't like this, this and this. And with the candidate or the person that I voted for, I don't like this, this, or this. If, if, if they are infallible in your eyes, that's a problem. That's a, that's a huge problem. Because there's only one who is infallible. Um, um, and then fourth, um, it's abuse, uh, the, the SBC's abuse of local church autonomy. Now, this is gonna be different for those of you most of you, (laughs) that have been Methodist. Um, Methodist churches were not autonomous. Autonomous meaning a law unto yourself, Um, self-governed. You are now, so yay, welcome. Uh, Welcome to the world of autonomy. Um, And any, any system can be abused. Please hear me, any system can be abused. So autonomy is a good thing, but it can be abused, and I believe that's what the SBC did because church autonomy has repeatedly been the thing behind which SBC church is hid to avoid accountability for instances of sexual abuse, racial discrimination, financial mismanagement, toxic work environments, theological error, and other, and, and, and other issues. Um, when I was in New Mexico, um, um, I kind of saw this up close and personal because there were... Um, uh, there, there were several churches in New Mexico that um, the, the Houston Chronicle article that came out a few years ago that kind of blew the whistle on all of the sexual abuse and the cover-up and everything in, in the Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, a couple of those churches were were in New Mexico and, and those people were still employed. Those people were still on staff and things like that. And the the, the reason that was given for nothing to be done was, well, you know, that we, we believe in autonomy, so we can't tell them what to do. Yet if any of those churches would have had a woman come in and preach on mother's day, they would have disaffiliated with them. So I'm going, the priorities seem to be kind of, kind of mixed up. So the abuse of local church autonomy and that, that continued even, even up until this, this latest convention when, um, um, Whenever there were some, some racial issues that really needed to be nailed down, and no, oh, we no, oh, we just can't do that because that you know the church is autonomous or whatever, and so the um, there are a, lo- a lot of my a lot of my African American friends um, that really try to hang in there with the SBC, uh, they've left in droves um, because of a, of a refusal. You know, they they still pass. Whenever one president is elected and he goes out, they still pass this gavel that was owned by a slave owner. And they, it's like, throw it away. Well, so and so, da, 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 da. And like, just do the right thing. Just do the right thing. Um, So those four issues, really, for me, um, they became an issue of conscience. And I just said, I don't identify with this anymore. I don't believe this way anymore. I can't. I just can't, um, you know, I can't, I can't identify and I can't associate, Though so there it is. Um, any questions on that, follow up on that? <clears throat> I'm not angry, I'm just, you know, I'm hurt because when I made the decision to leave, it got really ugly because they don't take kindly to that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a good segue into <clears throat> one of the other questions that I was asked, and this was really cool. This was something that the search team did that was really neat. Um, the first thing they sent me was a theological questionnaire, which I filled out and, and we'll, we'll get to those, to those things. Um, and they liked that, they liked what I wrote on that. And so then the second step was for me to do a video interview, meaning um, I would log on to this website, and there would be questions, and I would have you know a certain amount of time. After, once the question was was listed there, then I hit the record button, and I would answer it. So they would see me answer the question and s- see my pretty face. Um, you know, the problem is um, I kept hitting record, and it and it the screen kept cracking. So I don't know, but no, uh, <laughs> but um, and 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 the. And there were eight of those questions, and the eighth question was, it said a little bit about the um, the disaffiliation, and what would you what would you say to us? And that's when I was able to tell them, you know what, I've I've gone through a disaffiliation, and uh, and it hurts, um, uh, because you know, for 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 some people that I really thought were my friends, um, behind closed doors. They agreed with everything I said. And then kinda kinda this sounds a little melodramatic, but it actually happened like pretend like they didn't even know me in in public, in Baptist meetings. And um, um I won't go into the details here because this is being recorded, but I will say something even happened today. So if you want to know, you can come up and ask me after, when, when we're not on the record, <laughs> I'll tell you off the record. Doesn't that sound cool and like a spy? Um, that I, I it, it was it was something it was something that um, that someone did that what wasn't was an attempt to um, um, malign my character and actually prevent me from accessing um, my um, uh, retirement account from the Baptist Church. And I, and I, and I found out about it today. And um, it's, all, it's all good, it's all taken care of. But I just thought, they did that? Oh my gosh, you know, and I didn't know. So stuff like that happened and it was really hard. And so I, I said, I would, I would say to you, that I'm praying for you, no matter what happens, I'm praying for you, because I, 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 I understand. And also, I have some really, really close friends. Whenever I left the Baptist Church, the first church that Serena and I attended uh, was, uh, was an Anglican Church, um, Anglican Church in North America. And they are a denomination that has formed, they're a new you hear Anglican, you think, what, Jeffrey Chaucer? No, 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 this is, the Anglican Church in North America is fairly new because they split off from the Episcopal Church over the same issues that you guys disaffiliated from the Methodist Church for. And um, my, my, my friend, Father Bob, um, there in, in, in El Paso, uh, he was defrocked, um, you know, lost... Lost. I mean, they they lost so much, uh, and it hurt them so bad, and it was super super ugly. Uh, And he was telling me all about it while we were while we were attending there, Um, because I I wanted to go to the most unbaptist thing I could go to, and I thought, oh, the Anglicans. Hey, you know. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) but but it was it was a wonderful experience because um, they are you know very conservative and and everything. So. and so I conveyed that. I said, I have friends that have gone through this uh, in the, who left the Episcopal church and now are in the uh, Ang- Anglican Church of North America. And, it, and I just said, I would say I'm praying for you and thank you. Thank you Northside for taking a stand and doing, doing the hard thing rather than the easy thing. And, um, and, I, and I mean that. So like I said, Sunday, we're kinda, we kind of limped together. You know, we'll, we'll limp together. Okay. I think the interesting thing city wide is that when we made this stand, it made a lot of other churches look at themselves real hard and say, Are we willing to do the same thing? Yeah. And so even though we were out front, there was a lot of people looking at Baptist Church at all, you know, all I'm saying. Are we willing to make the stand? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and and please don't please don't hear me just throwing the Baptist Church under the bus. You know that they that those are that's how I grew up, and I'm and I'm very grateful for a lot of what I learned, and, and a lot of what the, the Baptist Church contributed to my spiritual development. But um, but I never I never I and the thing is I I could never completely buy into the baptism part. Which was so funny as a as a Baptist. And and, and specifically I never went to a Baptist I, I I never got a degree from a Baptist school. Um, I met my wife at a Baptist school. So I got an MR degree from a Baptist school. And she got an MRS degree. Um, that's terrible, terrible. Preacher humor. Um, but um, but I but specifically um, it what what bothered me even early on before I could even put words to it was I like to ask a lot of questions. You know, I, I question everything and I really want to dig in. And I would get in trouble actually at the that Baptist Bible College that I went to the first two years. I would annoy the professors because I would, well, what about, what, and, and I actually was talked to several times because it was, you need to just take notes Kevin and take the tests and I'm like well I'm here to learn and you know the the problem is my youth pastor ruined me because my youth pastor was very inquisitive and very into reading books and and everything and he was like Kevin question everything quite be a Berean be a Berean you know I just remember Pastor David you better be a good Berean and you know take everything back even if you agree with it Make sure the person teaching it to you knows their stuff too, you know? And and so that's just, I'm kind of that kind of a learner. And it was very clear that you were being told what to think. You were not going to be taught how to think. And um, so after I got married, I I said, no, this is for the birds. I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to keep getting in trouble. So um, I never went back to a Baptist school after that. I always went to schools where if we were gonna learn about an issue, you know, say we were gonna learn about hell. I, re- I, remember, I remember sitting in systematic theology class when we got to teaching about hell and we heard every perspective that's represented kind of at the Christian table. Um, and we would have to have a class debate and the professor would say, what view do you currently hold? This one. Okay, Kevin, you have to defend purgatory. I don't believe in purgatory. Um, you're gonna be graded on how well you defend it. Well, I wasn't gonna be able to defend it unless I had to, I had to, I had to learn about it and understand it. And so it, it helped me dis, uh, differentiate between understanding something and agreeing with it. And I think, think our country would be a lot better off and our churches would be a lot better off if, if, we, could, if we could understand that in order to understand someone that doesn't, to, to listen with the intent to understand is not the same as a, a, a agreement. But we, we seem to have lost that. Um, but uh, so anyway, and so that's the kind of environment that I did the rest of my education in environments like that where... Um, I learned, what does what the Christian community think about this issue, not just one tribe? So, well, that was number one. <laughs> any, any Anything else, anything else on, uh, oh, and yeah, I never, I, I never agreed with the baptism part just because um, the Baptist faith and message uh, read, Christian baptism is the immersion of the believer in water. And I was like, nope, nope, nope. Um, I don't consider what my Methodist Presbyterian uh, friends who baptize infants, I'm not going to say that theirs is an unchristian baptism because there's a direct correlation between what they're doing and baptizing that infant and the sign of circumcision and its sign of recognizing and including that child in the covenant community. And I see it. I get it. I like that. And so on the Baptist church, we would just call it baby dedications and save the water. But we essentially did the same thing. It was semantics, you know, so uh, I, I never, I was never, I was never a fan of that anyway, so so some of my Baptist friends would say, you were never among us from the beginning, so, but... Um, Mm-hmm. And there was a Baptist church in town that offered to give us space there to use their wow. to have That's awesome. That's some brotherhood. I like that. I like that. Okay. Um, the second question was, what are your thoughts on same-sex relationships and gender? Third one was, what are your thoughts on abortion? and the fourth one, um, election, predestination stuff. What it number would, number, number two, okay. Number two, what are your thoughts on same-sex relationships and gender? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, okay. Um, and I can, I can uh, I've written this up just so I don't ramble as if I don't ramble. Um, <laughs> you guys have already experienced that. Sorry. Um, but I'm, I'm happy to email this to you if you want what I wrote down um, because I love to share what I've put down on paper because that's how I've learned. Other people put things down on paper and and I borrow it and then make it mine. But uh, this is my statement. So I'll do, um, actually what I wrote, I wrote this on sexuality, gender, and abortion. So I'll just read Read this, okay, according to God's design and intent, sex difference, male and female, is an intrinsic part of what marriage is. While same-sex marriage is legal in some countries and in the United States, it does not represent a historical Christian view of marriage itself. So that's, that's number one. Number two, all sex outside of marriage is sin, whether it's gay or straight, okay? Number three, the fall has corrupted God's original intent for human sexuality in all persons. Therefore, all people, straight or non-straight, experience corruption in their sexuality. Um, simply experiencing attraction to the same sex or being gay is not itself a morally culpable sin. Let me explain that. Um, because you, you might disagree with me on that. Um, it kind of goes back to the question, is experiencing same sex attraction in and of itself a sin? Um, I don't believe so. And the reason I, I don't believe so is because as a straight man, um, there, will be, there will be times when, uh, because I'm a straight man, there are women who are attractive that are not my wife and that's just kind of life but what do i do with that attraction is it acted upon is it something that um that i that i move forward with and try to put a plan together to act on that attraction and so um it's 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 kind of like whenever whenever Jesus was saying, if uh, if a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery with her in his heart. He has committed sin with her. He doesn't say if there's an attraction there that he's committed a sin. Uh, it's what is done with that. So um, there is uh, there are a number of friends that I have, and and even even some pastors and some biblical scholars. That identify they they identify as being same sex attracted, but they've made a they've made a decision in their own person to uh, to be committed to to celibacy because they they understand that sex is or, or um, marriage is between a man and a woman, so they will not marry and they will not act on their attraction, and they will not. Um, um, fix their mind on acting on that attraction, and so they their 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 sexual faithfulness or their faithfulness as as uh, sexual persons is to live a life of of celibacy so um but that's <clears throat> uh, because I think if if you if you go down the road of saying that someone who experiences same-sex attraction, the experience of it, just having that is itself a sin, then we've gotta start, we gotta start asking some really interesting and difficult questions about, well, what about, um, what about whenever I have a thought of covetousness, but I don't act on it. I say, no, 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 nope, not gonna go there. Paul writes uh, that we, we tear down strongholds by taking every thought captive and making it obedient to Christ. And so there is that time between the thought and what to do with that thought that determines whether or not we've, we, are, we are in sin. Um, anyway, that's where I land on someone having the attraction at all, um, are they in a state of sin for ha- just having the attraction? I'm, I'm open to, to, to comments or thoughts on that. Does that make sense? What I'm, what I'm, what I'm saying? Okay. Um, next part of the statement, God desires all males and females to express their gender in accordance with their biological sex. Now, that does not deny that um, there, are, there are people in our churches that experience gender dysphoria and gender dysphoria is where one is not at home, if you will, um, with their natural, uh, with what I should say, their physical state with, with physically the way that they've been born. They're not at home with that in how they experience themselves in that body. And, uh, one of the, uh, one of the, Best people in the scientific world right now that's doing work on this is a very devout Christian named uh, Dr. Mark Yarhouse. Mark Yarhouse. And um, he's written several books on gender dysphoria and Christians and um, he's done some specific work as it relates to teenagers. So you can Google Mark Yarhouse and his work is amazing. and he he fleshes out what we can do as a church, as a as a Christian community, to compassionately minister uh, to the many people in our churches who are experiencing uh, some form of of uh, gender dysphoria. Um, and so, again, ministering to does does not mean an an endorsement um, of um, reassigning some things and 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 some of the um, some of the um, actions that are taken. In fact, one of the things that your house points out that kind of kind of has let me know that a lot of the a lot of the things that are being pushed regarding transgender um, issues is more political than it is scientific. Is that um, Yarhouse writes <clears throat> that there is um, there tends to be just in normal adolescent development some fluidity in um, in gender identity during adolescence and during puberty that's absolutely normal that some some fluidity um, and because of that um, whenever Uh, He has a client or treats someone that's experiencing gender dysphoria and wants to do something about it that's a little more permanent and they are in that adolescent, teenage, young adult period of time. Christian, non-Christian, all across the board, those who do the work of mental health care regarding gender dysphoria say, don't do anything, wait, wait. Don't do anything. Wait, but politically, the agenda is to push even teenagers and push parents and school systems and everything into you no know, get them hormone therapy, get them gender reassignment, and that that is that is a radical departure from what the uh, the, the the study and the literature has been calling for for decades. So. Anyway, I gotta let us go. Um, Last thing on on, uh, sexuality and gender. All forms of abuse, slander, dehumanization, or oppression toward fellow humans is an affront against God's sacred image, which has been stamped upon all people, regardless of their sexual identity. So the posture by which we interact with people in the LGBTQ community is as important um, as what it is we stand for, the way that we stand. Um, They're not problems to be solved, they are people to be loved. So um, while I hold that traditional um, historic sexual ethic, um, I can't emphasize enough the need to hold that with compassion and Christ-likeness and and a, and, and a lot, and a huge willingness to listen. Um, there's, a, there's, there's usually a lot to the story there. So um, next week we'll pick up with abortion and uh, the Calvinism stuff. It will be predestined, right? All right. Okay, thank you and, and um, yeah, come back, bring some people with you and if you have questions as a follow-up to anything else you've heard tonight, shoot me an email, kevin at northsidejackson.com. All right, let's pray and I'll turn you loose and away we go. Thanks for coming. Lord, thank you for um, just the way that you uh, move among us. Thank you for good questions uh, thank you for the willingness of, of this church to take the stand that they did. It wasn't easy. And um, thank you for putting us together. And uh, Lord, I, I just pray that as we go throughout the rest of this week, you would help us to look to you, to follow you, uh, to listen to you, and to listen to our neighbor, Um in every point at which we might have a disagreement with our neighbor, there's usually a story there. Um, May we be quick to listen uh, rather than, um, maybe even rather than have something to say. So thank you uh, that you listen to us when we pray and that you guide us in in wisdom. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thanks y'all.